Our sermon text tonight is Genesis 34. Genesis 34. Let's hear God's word. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamor, the son of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hammer his father and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to him, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition we will consent to you if you will become as we are. If every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take our daughters, your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised, as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, they took captive. And they plundered even all that was in the houses. 
And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a harlot? Our New Testament reading is First Peter 2, 9-17. through 17. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. Let's pray together. Lord, you are wisdom itself, and you have revealed your perfect wisdom in your word, in your gospel, in your son. Father, in ourselves, we do not have wisdom. So grant us the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, humility, listening ears, a heart ready to heed and trust and obey. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I can still remember the driver's ed videos that we used to have to watch in my driver's ed class in high school. They would show you these clips. I think, not, not actual clips, dramatized, but um, these clips of, of accidents that had happened um, that should have been, could have been avoided. And, you know, you'd see maybe someone driving one of these cars in one of these dramatizations, this, this kid... Um, driving the car, and he looks down at something, I don't know, his phone or whatever, and then suddenly there's a curve in the road, he didn't see it coming, he looks up just at the last second, it's too late, and the car goes, you know, the screen goes black, and the teacher says, watch out, right? You 16-year-olds learning how to drive think you're going to get in there, it's dangerous if you don't follow the rules. Um, driving can be deadly, uh, it can be deadly to yourself, deadly to others, so as you know, young people sitting in those classes, we needed those videos. We needed those warnings. And that is what came to my mind as I was reading Genesis 34 this week. It's like one of those driver's ed videos, except it's, it really happened, right? This is not just a dramatization of what an accident might look like. Here's the accident. Here's the pileup, if you will. In the people of God, in the family of God, we see here what can go wrong if you start depending on yourself and ignoring God, uh, walking by sight instead of walking by faith. 
So Genesis 34 is, um, is a warning to us. It's a warning to us of what happens when we uh, stop following after the Lord and His ways. It shows us the deadliness of sin and the dire consequences of drifting from God and towards worldliness. Um, so we should be thankful for Genesis 34. It's a hard chapter to read, but we should be thankful that God in His grace has given us a warning and we ought to, we ought to pay careful attention to it and, and heed it. So I want to draw out four warnings from Genesis 34. Warning number one. Compromising with the world has painful consequences. Compromising with the world has painful consequences. This is, we see this uh, especially in the first seven verses. Every generation of God's people is tempted to fit in uh, with, with, with the world, compromise with the world, settle in a little bit with the world. Um, at the end of chapter 33, we see Jacob already trending in this direction. Um, instead of going to Bethel, the place where God had met him on the way out, given him these wonderful promises. He built this memorial to God there. Instead of going there when he gets back into the promised land, um, he goes to Shechem, this, this other city uh, where, uh, where ungodly people live, worldly people live. And, and he doesn't just camp out in front of Shechem for a little while, but he, he really settles in. He, he, he's, he's getting closer to the city, gets comfortable there. He's probably tired of the... You know, traveling around, um, living in a tent for so long. He's, his dad did it. His grandfather, his grandfather Abraham did it, right? Going around in a tent around the promised land. He wants to settle down a little bit. And uh, so he buys some land here um, in, in this area, right? He's, he says, let's get a little more stability, a little more comfortable here. Um, he's not abandoning the faith, right? I mean, you can think this probably is reasoning, right? I'm, I'm not really... Abandoning the faith, he builds this altar at the end of chapter 33, um, and he calls it uh, God, the God of Israel, right? So he's still saying, the Lord is my God, but you know what? Let's enjoy the, both, the best of, of both worlds. Um, in chapter 34, God isn't named at all. He's completely in the background. He's behind the scenes. Um, Jacob is, is moving towards this best of both worlds attempt, right? He can... Enjoy the blessing God gives, but at the same time, enjoy some of the good things that the world can give. What can be so dangerous in that? Well, how many, um, how often do we see the church doing that, the same mindset, right? We can, we can be Christians, and we can also, you know, live a pretty comfortable, enjoyable, good life in the world and, and compromise on certain things to do that, too. You see the church tempted, right, on, on, on the hot button issues to compromise its witness, compromise its holiness. Uh, we see the church look, looking around and saying, well, um, people are coming up with these new ideas about gender, sexuality, um, uh, uh, other things. Um, forget the interpretation of Scripture that the church has had for thousands of years. This is, this is easier. This is, this is better, right? Um, people don't want to be thought of as stupid or dinosaurs, unloving. Uh, so we compromise to get the world's approval and settle in. Um, and so we, we move towards worldliness. This is a constant temptation. We see it around us. But it's not just out there. Um, it's also right in here. 
um, our own hearts are tempted to this. Any, any way that, that, uh, that the world pulls us to a different kind of lifestyle than God calls us to. Or we could think through all the Ten Commandments. In which of them is the world tugging at you, pulling you a little further from what God calls you to? We should not take our obedience to God as something that um, is contextualized and relativized by the culture. We should obey Him the way He asks to be obeyed and not budge an inch to fit in with the culture around us. Not, not, not fall into worldliness. But worldliness is also, it's, it's more than this. Um, um, it, it, the, the, at the deepest level, uh, worldliness is, um, is a mind that is set on self rather than on God. Um, uh, to compromise with the world means to shift your mindset from being God-focused and His kingdom-focused to instead being me-focused and my kingdom-focused. Um, to give up on, on being a pilgrim as we are called to be. This is what's happening here uh, in, in Jacob's heart. And the consequences of it, as we, as we see in the text, are, 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 uh, are, are big. They're, they're, they're dire consequences. He settles into life around Shechem, and as, as he does it, he leads his family into it. And we see um, verse 1 of chapter 34 shows us, I think, that his daughter, Dinah, is picking up this same mentality. Verse 1 says that she goes out to see the women of the land. It's an ominous verse. Um, right? she's, she's taking her father's worldliness a step further, going out to, uh, to, to uh, uh, see the women of the land. Why? I think we could uh, read in there that she's trying to become more like them, part of them, accepted among them. Um, now, what happens next is not necessarily one-for-one correspondence her fault. She's about to be taken and violated. And I'm not saying that it's her fault that happened. But we need to see that part of the, con- the complex consequences of sin, hers and her father's drift into worldliness, are setting up this situation for her. One of the leading men of the city, um, this man named Shechem, sees Dinah, and he takes her and he uh, commits this horrible, disgraceful sin. Um, and it is his own sin. Uh, then he decides to, to, to marry her. But then this brings up this difficult problem for Jacob. Um, should he allow this to happen? If he doesn't, uh, uh, Dinah is going to be uh, dishonored and, and ostracized and uh, an outcast in society. Um, no one else will probably marry her. Um, and she'll be disgraced for that. But if Jacob goes along with this, then, um, then uh, uh, it's also going to be complicated because then the, the people of God starts to become mixed with those around them. And so Jacob is at this, uh, he's, on, he's on this dilemma here. And these are just some of the consequences that his sin of moving towards worldliness is having for his, for his family. Um, the painful consequences. God is going to forgive him of his sin. God is continuing to bless him, but there are still consequences for sin. Brothers and sisters, um, that, that, that's the first warning in the text. Drifting towards worldliness. Yes, God will forgive you, but you'll still feel consequences from it. Painful, hard consequences. And they can leave scars that last a lifetime. Even after the sin's been forgiven, the pain of the consequence will still be there. 
And, and it could not just scar you, but as we see in the text, it can scar children, grandchildren. As you drift towards worldliness and compromise with the world, it can have these deadly consequences. So keep that warning in mind and hold fast to Christ. The second warning that we see is that the world will pressure you to compromise. This is in verses 8 through 12. The world will pressure you to compromise. So um, the first warning uh, that there's uh, these dangerous consequences of compromise. Second warning is that the world's going to be encouraging you to do this, making it all the harder to resist. Um, Jacob and his family start out freely choosing this way. They're not pressured into it. But once they've started down that road, then the world starts pushing them further and further down that road. Um, now the people of Shechem are, are pressuring them. And Jacob isn't sure what to do. Jacob's sons aren't sharing their plans for what they're going to do yet. Shechem's dad has a plan, and, and, and he comes, and his plan is just, let's just get them married, right? No big deal. Let's just move on. Get them married. Let's become one people. Your kids and can marry our kids, and our kids can marry your kids, and there's no real problem here. Um, they see this as uh, an economic benefit to them. Um, so in, in other words, from the perspective of the people of this city in Shechem looking at them, there's no big deal. Uh, just become like us. Just join with us and become one people with us. Don't be different. Don't be weird. Don't be uh, Yahweh worshiping. Uh, um, just, just become like us and do what everyone else is doing. It's better for business. It's sort of the mentality that they have. Um, so we see them putting pressure on them to compromise, to join with them. Um, and and as you, if you look through the whole Old Testament, you see the same pattern happening, right? The nations around Israel pressuring Israel to come join them in their idolatry and their unfaithfulness to the Lord. And Israel keeps doing this. It's their struggle through the whole Old Testament is that they keep running after this compromise that they're, that they're also being pressured into. They... They, they keep running back to the world. Um, so there's this tension because sin and holiness cannot peacefully coexist. When the sinful world sees a holy people, they fight against that. They don't like it. It's a reflection of the holiness of God. And so to the degree that the church reflects God's holiness, the church will make people uncomfortable. But not just make the world uncomfortable. Um, we need to put it more strongly than that. Jesus, John fifteen nineteen says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's how strongly Christ puts it. The world hates holiness and holy people who reflect the holiness of God. And they're going to put pressure on those trying to live holy lives to compromise and compromise and compromise till there's no more recognizable difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. And the loved ones, I don't need to tell you this, you know this, but the further our culture drifts from cultural Christianity and the foundations of our culture being influenced by, by, by Christianity, it is going to get harder and harder. Uh, the, the pressure is going to get more and more intense on us uh, for, for Christians to stop being so weird and so uh, different. Um, 
for a long time, we've lived in a culture in which if you're a Christian, you're thought of as a morally upstanding good person. But, but that's changing. That wasn't always the case in second century uh, A.D. Uh, the Romans thought the Christians were terrible people until they saw how they really lived. But their, their caricature of them was, oh, they're, 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 they're intolerant to other people's gods. They don't, they're not loyal citizens of the state. Uh, they, don't serve, uh, they, they believe in another Caesar, another lord, and uh, they, they're, they're cannibals and, and uh, they're incestuous. Right? That was their view. And, and so it is, as our culture drifts more and more from uh, Christian-influenced foundations, people will look at Christians and say, you're bigoted. Um, you're intolerant, you're toxic. Um, so there's growing intensity of this pressure to compromise. You cannot live a holy life for Christ and at the same time maintain cultural respectability and be cool. It's holiness in Christ um, or acceptance with the culture. It cannot be both. For the world, right? is trying to squeeze us into its mold, but we are called, Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your minds. How do you resist that increasing pressure? There it is in Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Having your inner life shaped, reshaped over and over by the Word of God and the Gospel of God. That's the second warning, then. Warning number three. You will be tempted to respond with vengeance. You will be tempted to respond with vengeance. Verses 13 through 29. How should we respond when the world is putting this pressure to compromise on us? Um, Jacob's sons show us exhibit A of how not to respond. Um, Back in verse 7, when they initially hear the news about their sister, they are furious. And they're right to be furious. They're right to be angry. Something horrible has happened to her. Um, 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 Their sister has been terribly mistreated and abused. And so they are burning with anger at what's been done. Uh, They're they're concerned for the family name. They're concerned for something, uh, for for this great injustice. But they aren't concerned. They aren't concerned first and foremost with God's name. And, and the holiness of God being upheld. Uh, they're not acting out of faith and dependence on God. They want to restore their sister's honor and their family's honor, but it does not seem to me like they are relying on God and trusting in His wisdom and in His timing and His justice because they quickly take matters into their own hands and, uh, and, and far exceed any bounds of justice. Um, they come up with this plan. They accept they pretend to accept Shechem's offer of becoming one people together. Um, but they say, well, there's a caveat. You've got to be circumcised because uh, that's, that's how we are and, and uh, you should become that way too or we won't do this. So the people of Shechem are circumcised and then three days later when they're still in pain and unable to defend themselves, uh, Simeon and Levi, who are, um, who are Dinah's brothers, um, they come and they murder everyone in the town. The Hebrew text here, Hebrew narrative, has a particular way of ordering, of putting word order. Um, uh, and, and it typically marches along without mixing that word order up too much. But then sometimes a Hebrew 
writer will change up the word order in a particular way to bring emphasis. And in verses 26, 27, 28, and 29, the writer does this, where he changes the word order to kind of put this part in slow motion for us, the violence that these brothers are committing. Um, it says this, They killed Hemor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. But the writer is showing us this brutal revenge that they're carrying out. This isn't, this isn't justice. Right? They didn't try to follow the law of the land. They didn't ask God for wisdom uh, for how to proceed. They just take matters into their own hands and they murder a whole city. They're doing what Lamech said he would do. Lamech, one of Cain's descendants, Genesis chapter 4, He's, the, he's, the, he's sort of the archetypal uh, seed of the serpent uh, representing the kingdom of Satan there in Genesis 4. And he says there, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Right, so Simeon and Levi are acting like that, carrying out this terrible vengeance. You, 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 you did this against me. I'm going to make you wish you had never, ever, ever done such a thing. That's how they're acting. Um, God's word says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So they've got this worldly mindset, not the mindset of the people of God. They should seek justice, but they should not be carrying out vengeance like this. They should, uh, they should wait on the Lord for, for, his, uh, for His time and His way and His wisdom. So they're right in a sense. They want, they want to bring honor back to their sister's name. And they don't want to compromise and become one people with, with Shechem. But they're going about it in just as worldly a way. Still showing compromise. Now, loved ones, the principle to take away here, I think, is that um, as the world puts pressure on us to compromise, whether that's carrot pressure or stick pressure, Right? Whether that's come, uh, join, see all the good things we have here, or, or forcing, pushing, uh, persecuting kind of pressure, um, we can be tempted to respond angrily, uh, right? fighting spirit, uh, get, get vengeance. On, uh, we're mistreated. We're going to double back. Um, but uh, God calls us to respond so differently. First Peter 4 19, Peter writing to people and calling them pilgrims and exiles who are suffering, uh, calls them to do this. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Don't, don't return evil for evil. Or don't, don't respond in kind. Suffer patiently. Seek justice the right way. Wait on God. Wait in His time. Wait in His wisdom. If you, if, you, if you respond that way to persecution, instead of like this, instead of with angry vengeance, but, but, but patiently trusting the Lord, relying on Him, rejoicing even in the hardest circumstances, you will shine like lights in the darkness in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. 
So that's the third warning. Then there's one more sinful response that we see. And this brings us to our fourth warning, which is this. You'll be tempted to respond with passivity. So one temptation to respond that we just saw is vengeance. We see that in Jacob's sons. But in the fourth warning here, you see this, uh, this passive response. In verses 30 and 31, um, we see this brought out. But it, it goes all the way back in, in verse, starting with verse 5. The first sign there's something wrong with how Jacob is handling everything in this chapter comes in, in verse 5. Once again, there the Hebrew word order is, is changed up. He's being, something's being underlined here and, and drawn our attention drawn to that um, Jacob is doing nothing. We're told he keeps his peace. At first, it sounds like, well, he's just waiting for, the son, for his sons to get back, and he'll talk with them, see what they think, and they'll come up with a plan together. But as we read on in the chapter, it's crickets from Jacob, right? Nothing. Shechem comes, Hamor comes, they, they, they talk to him, they ask him some things, talk to him, and his sons respond. Jacob doesn't say anything. And it's not until we get to the, to the end of the chapter that uh, he, he speaks again. And when he does, he's, it almost sounds like he's just whining. Uh, uh, very, very passive throughout this whole chapter. He doesn't own up to the fact that it's his own spiritual drift to worldliness that has brought his family into this. And it, probably it's the, it's, the, it's the result of his own sin that's giving him this fog keeping him from leading clearly and decisively and wisely and in a godly way. He's been compromising and compromising, and so he's not ready to lead. He's spiritually half asleep, it seems, in this chapter. So he comes to the end, and he is upset with his sons because they went out and murdered this city. He says, now look what you've done. You've made us obnoxious to everyone around us. And so he's worried for their safety, but it sounds like he's just nervously wringing his hands. Very passive throughout the chapter. Loved ones, faith in God in the midst of trials is never passive. Patiently suffering is not passive. Now, um, God does not respond, uh, call us to respond to the pressure the world puts on us by being a pushover. He calls us to wisdom and holiness and a bold and loving witness. The answer here to how we respond to the pressure the world puts on is neither vengeance nor being passive. It's this, this other way God calls us to of faithful, holy, bold, convicted, courageous, wise, gentle, patient, loving, gracious. What, what, if, Jacob, what, what if Jacob had done this differently? What would chapter 34 look like if, if he had risen to the occasion by the grace of God let his family say, no, we're not going to go slaughter the city, right? Let's hold out to them the gospel. Let's pursue justice and, you know, recompense for, for, for our daughter who has sinned against. Let's pursue repentance from Shechem. And let's, let's pursue reconciliation. And, and let's show them how the people of God are different from the world. And instead of saying, why do you guys get circumcised? Right? Take the sign of the covenant. But then using that as an excuse to slaughter them, uh, a chance to slaughter them. What if they had said, no, come be a son of the covenant, Shechem. Come taste the forgiving grace of God. And we see that in other places in the Old Testament. People who aren't part of God's family brought in. Right? Ruth, Rahab. It could have happened here perhaps, but there's no holiness and there's no witness right now, from the people of God in chapter 34. 
Loved ones, these are the warnings that Genesis 34 gives us. But there's more here. One more thing to see beyond the warnings, um, beyond the warnings of the consequences of sinful compromise. Um, This chapter also overwhelmingly points us once again to the grace of God, doesn't it? Um, As we read this chapter, we think, what is wrong with this family? What is wrong with these people? Um, but it's, it's this, this, this constant reminder, this drumbeat of the grace of God is the only reason we are saved. And we see it on every page. Um, and this gives us hope because we do fail in our holiness, don't we? We do compromise. We aren't great witnesses to the gospel of Christ. And so our hope is God's grace. As we think through chapter 34 and, and, and the way God's grace is shining out here, we see, um, we see that uh, God's plan is so dependent, completely dependent on himself. Think, think back to um, God's words to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he promises there, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. You fast forward to Genesis 34. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Shechem doesn't think that right now. Right? That, that, that city, slaughtered. Right? They're not saying, wow, what a blessing. Family of Abraham. Right? What's going on? Right? Um, the, the, their failure to be holy. Their failure to be a witness. But all, all, all of this is, is showing us that it's the grace of God and only the grace of God that's going to fulfill that promise. The people of Abraham don't become this great blessing to the world through their own righteousness, but through God's faithfulness in bringing Christ. He's the Holy One. He's the faithful witness. He's the one who never compromises with the world. He's the one through whom blessing comes to the nations. He's the one who doesn't respond with vengeance and doesn't respond with passivity, but, but leads His people into holiness and a faithful witness to him. So, loved ones, hear the warnings and see the Savior and trust in him as you seek to walk in faith in obedience. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are true Israel, the faithful witness, the Holy One. We thank you that we in you are being made into Israel, true Israel ourselves. We pray, Father, continue this work in us by the power of your Spirit. Grant us grace to live holy lives without compromise as faithful witnesses to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.